Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast and I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Jan Patience. Now Jan grew up in Ayrshire and she's been a journalist for over 30 years uh, writing for a diverse range of publications from TV Quick to the Sunday Times and today she combines journalism with communications consultancy work. And since 2008, she's written a regular visual arts column for the Herald newspaper and also appears as an arts expert on television, radio and in podcasts, writing and talking about art in what she hopes is a non-pretentious way. Uh, She studied English and Scottish literature at Aberdeen University in the 1980s and has been a bookworm for as long as she can remember. Her late father, a Church of Scotland minister, taught her to read from the Bible when she was three years old because the verses were short and he thought she could memorise them. He was right. She co-wrote Arrivals and Sailings, the making of George Wiley, a biography of the renowned Scottish artist George Wiley with his eldest daughter Louise, and that was published by Polygon Books back in 2016. Jan also regularly chairs events at book festivals, including the Edinburgh International Book Festival, sadly uh, cancelled, of course, this year due to the coronavirus crisis. Uh, She's also co-chair of Women in Journalism Scotland and has a wide and varied presence on social media. Her black lab, Archie, even has his own Twitter feed called at the bald boy. I'm sure many of you are just going to immediately go onto Twitter (laughs) and start following that as we speak. Uh, Jan worked behind the scenes at BBC Scotland on the launch of the newish BBC Scotland channel and she also helped to organise the BBC Expert Women Initiative in Scotland which equips women to be confident contributors to television, radio and online. Jan, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Now you also have the, the distinction of being the first podcast guest on the actual Read All About It podcast that we're going to we're recording via Skype, such as the, the current situation. So you are making the Read All About It podcast history here. <laughs> well, I'm delighted to be sitting in a corner of my bedroom talking to you, Paul. It's I've been a big period of adjustment for everyone. So that's, that's how I'm managing it. I mean, I work from home anyway, but uh, actually I normally work in well, my kitchen living room downstairs, but I've got two teenagers who tend to sleep until lunchtime at the moment, actually. Uh, so, but I, I reckoned I needed a little office of my own, or a little space of my own. In terms of when I was mentioning the introduction and some, you know, the whole variety of different things that you, different platforms you work on, you write on, and you know, mentioning the, the Edinburgh International Book Festival, and as obviously it's just one of the many things or any sort of public gatherings and. It's such a big event, it's such an important event for readers and writers and it's it's sad that it's one of the things that's obviously, we've had to put that on hold just now. I know, I mean, I just, I feel so badly for everyone, but, you know, just the certain sectors I'm associated with uh, like that, you know, you get to know the people and uh, there's such a lot of work goes into these events. I mean, there are years in the making and they're so complex and just for it suddenly not to happen. And I mean, authors all over have books that they, you know, it's a big event for them. It's It's a special event to go to a book festival and, and talk about your book that you've laboured in isolation on for a long time you know so because authors as you know are people that sit out in their bedrooms and their studies just on their own and then suddenly they get a wee flash of glory when they when they, they do these events 
yeah. and it's strange because what one of the previous guests on the podcast, Ian Maloney, who stays in Japan, he wrote the, the book, The Only Gaijin in the Village, and I interviewed him when he came over, and he was actually appearing at the iWrite Festival, and his event was on the last night before iWrite also oh, had to be cancelled as well. So he, in one way, was fortunate he got to speak to an audience, but again, as you say, there's lots of authors who would have just been looking forward to meet their audience and meet their readers, I suppose. That's right. I mean, I, I, well, I uh, I did do the, the book festival myself as an author uh, when, when my book came out with Louise Wiley a few years ago. And uh, it really is. Uh, it's exciting. You know, it's just a thrill to as a book lover and an author to, to do these events because you know your subject inside out. You know that book like the back of your hand and suddenly to be in front of people talking about it is it's a great thrill. And I, I heard that uh, podcast with Ian and it was, did he get back to Japan? What happened? Yes, he did. Yes. Okay. Once once the, all these events started to cancel, he, he decided to get home while he still could. So I've been in touch with him when he's over there. So he's back home safe and sound with, his, with his wife. So Yeah, no, I, I I listened to that and I thought, goodness, you know, what a time to be doing it. And uh, was anyway. I'm glad that uh, we've got you on the podcast because obviously you and I have been corresponding via email and Twitter trying to arrange this. <laughs> in terms of taking you through the literary journey of your life, I'm not going to go back through all, all the different lists of books that you sent me, but uh, just enough to tell people that uh, I know that as you've been through the various categories, I think it's something you've maybe, it's fair to say you've maybe agonised over some of the choices. Yeah, and I, well, what happened was we were going to do this, I think, the, 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 week of the, the week before the lockdown, and then we sort of postponed it. So I've changed a couple of my choices because, you know, you sort of, I suppose initially, it's, it's, well, as your previous contributors have said, oh, it's such a difficult job trying to just pick a book for each of the categories. So I have changed a couple, but I think the first list I sent you, had, I gave you loads, didn't I? <laughs> and I, just, I thought, wait a minute, get a grip, Jan, you need to <laughs> trim this one down. You can't mention all these books. But uh, yeah, I've, I've now got my books totally nailed down although I finished one of them last night the, the book I was reading oh, it was the audio book I was reading so excellent well we're going to go back right back to childhood you obviously mentioned and I mentioned in the introduction that it was your dad had kind of taught you to read by reading the bible but the the book you've actually you've chosen from childhood is is actually one of the I think one of the most popular and biggest selling books in the history of fiction which is Heidi by Joanna Spirey I don't even know how you say that. I, I always said Speedy, but, but yeah, maybe we need to, to find that out. Speedy, Spidey. There was all these things when you were young, when you were reading, you just had, you said the name in your head and you didn't know if it was right or not. And I was just looking at the book uh, uh, this morning and the, the illustrator is called Pelagi Duane or something. I mean, I, how do you even say that? Yeah. And so, what was it about this book in particular that obviously at the time must have made an impact on you, but but still is the, is the book that you would choose going back to your childhood? Well, I mean, I I read voraciously as a child. I'd just read anything. The joke in the family was that I would read the phone book, you know, if I didn't have anything to read. So I read Heidi several times. I read a lot of books several times. I read, you know, Enid Blight and Mallory Towers, all these books several times. No Streckfield, just whatever you know whatever was there I picked it up but there's something about Heidi this little girl I suppose you identified with her I mean it was published in 1881 set in Switzerland I mean n nothing 
that was relevant to me as a wee girl growing up in Comores in Ayrshire. You know, it really was very different from my life. She was a, a little orphan girl who was sent to live with her grandfather, who was really grumpy. And But it was just that she's, it's, I thought it was about the agency of a child. Looking back, it was just that, you know, Heidi was able to transform lives. She was just a wee girl, but, you know, she 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 transformed the life of her grandfather who was a sort of embittered old man when you meet him and gradually you know his life began to change she went off to Frankfurt and lived in this house with the disabled girl Clara and then gradually Clara's life began to be transformed and you know beyond belief by Heidi which you know I won't spoil it for anyone that wants to go and read it now but you know she was just a she was a, a happy little girl but who you know she the emotions of Heidi were very well delineated I think and it just sort of it struck a chord with me and I you know, I just imagined I was Heidi. And there's little pictures all through the book, which again, I mean, I write about art now, but I was always interested in art. I suppose I always saw things visually. Read, I read books in a visual way, I think. And there's a beautiful picture in the front of the Heidi, uh, the edition that I had. And I remember looking at it now, it's like a little blonde girl, in a, you know, in the mountains, Swiss mountains in the background, the Alps, and then she's got a couple of goats. And, you know, it seemed idyllic. It looks like Shirley Temple or something, you know. But it was beautiful to look at. And it was just, and it was a, a redemptive story. And actually, there was a religious element to it, but I wasn't even aware of that. It was only looking at it again now as an adult all these years later that I realised that. But it was just sort of there, the religious element. And that copy that you've got with you, is that a copy that you've, is that your original copy from when you were a child? Yes, it is. I've got the, the original copy. It's actually fallen to bits. I'll send you a photograph of it. The paper, you know, the kind of jacket of it has fallen to bits. But I kept it inside, the, the original cover inside it. And then there was two follow-up books which were not written by Joanna Speary or Spirey. And they were, it was Heidi Grows Up and Heidi's Children. They were written by a guy called Charles Tritton, who was... Uh, her translator actually I realised afterwards when I looked up recently but they weren't quite as good I did read them and I read them several times but they weren't quite as special for me <laughs> as Heidi yeah. was because you know that you know that way it's a it's a name and it's a book I've, I've actually never read the book but it's what it's one that's always in your consciousness because it's it's obviously a, a very famous book but it was only when I was checking on it that it is I think in terms of uh, book sales. I think there's been over 50 million copies sold. So it's like I think it's number 27 in the, the list of the biggest selling books of all time, which is just extraordinary. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, I suppose it is just timeless. I think it, well, I was you know reading bits of it this week, and I just think it's got a, a a quality about it. It's very simple prose, but very visual, very vivid, and it's just about humanity it's about people's emotions of all ages as well you know there's just i can see why it's got that universal appeal yeah and when you mentioned there's a, a religious aspect to it that you maybe weren't aware of at the time would that have been a book then you, you mentioned obviously your late father was a church of scotland minister would that have been a book then that he would have maybe encouraged you to read for that for those reasons or no no probably not no i mean my dad was very sort of catholic in his reading tastes actually and, and it was that old-fashioned way of the church of scotland you know your religion wasn't really shoved down our throats in any way it was always just in the background i mean it was in the background a lot because he was there all the time in the house and you know we were church every Sunday and you know Sunday school and it just was the fabric of the background of our lives my dad was he just wanted me to read he had come from a religious background himself actually you know grew up in the highlands he was the only child of a station master in Carbridge 
and the first person ever in his family to go to university and he very much so. Reading for him had been an escape out of his life that he was probably destined to lead as well, you know. I think books were in his in the background, but not prominent. He loved reading and he was delighted if I was reading anything, you know. He had a, a study full of books, you know, like it was just his whole study was just lined with books. There was a lot of books about children's addresses and theology and, you know, hymn writers, all that stuff. He was always trying to find ideas to, to do for his sermons and his children's addresses. And, and one thing on in Heidi again, when I was when I was doing some research into it, that apparently one of the spin-offs from, you know, it's been sort of adapted for TV and film quite a lot, but apparently uh, an adaptation in the late 60s actually changed the way that American TV filmed sports. There was a live American football game on, and towards the end of the game, the broadcasters cut because Heidi was scheduled to go on, so the, the fans missed the end of the game, and I, th- I think it was a dramatic game, something happened at the end of it. So in the back of that, there was such an uproar that in future broadcasters decided that, which they do all the time now if there's a live sporting event, They'll stay with the sporting event and rearrange the schedule around it. And and this game from 1968 is known in American football as the Heidi game. Wow, that's amazing. It all comes back to sport, Paul. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) If we we move on from uh, your book from from childhood and go into the kind of more formative teenage student years, and this is one of the books where actually you, from an initial correspondence, you did change your mind. And the book you've gone for now is uh, The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie by Muriel Spark. That's right. Yeah, now, so originally I chose Doherty by William McElvaney. I mean, that was a real influence on me as well. And, and I think I, ch- I ended up changing my mind because I started reading The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie again. I thought it's such a perfect book. And I think I read it first, I must have been 17, 18, because I was in my sixth year at Kilmarnock Academy and I was doing six-year studies under a teacher called Neil Dixon, who I still keep up with, actually. He was very influential in shaping my reading taste. So, you know, I, I just love Muriel Spark. I mean, Doherty, if I could just say a wee bit about that though, William McIlvaney attended Kilmarnock Academy as a Kilmarnock man and he he came to the school to talk to us and he's, I think his nephew was a teacher there when I was there. But it was amazing to me that a book could be set in Kilmarnock, it was called Greyfnock, but it was very much Kilmarnock and I suppose that was amazing to me that a writer not only came from Kilmarnock and could be a writer and be from where I came from and also the town could be a backdrop. But I started reading Doherty again and I felt it was a kind of dense novel. You know, McElvaney's never been one for for really kind of playing out the the women in his novels. I mean, I will read it again, actually, now that it's in my consciousness. Because it's interesting that if you, like, when you go back, because I've asked a lot of people that of books that they choose from years ago that obviously the time and the place and the age are resonate with you, but then... What is your reaction when you go back and, and read it later? Because you're you're looking at it through different eyes and different perspective and li- different life experiences. Exactly, yeah. And I suppose that thing about that, you know, I would never have thought about McIlvaney's women <laughs> at the time. I would just be thinking about it as a story and how how's this going to progress. And you know, it's very much the coming of age thing as well. I think McIlvaney is a great writer actually, and his sort of moments of real kind of sentences that just stand out but there's very heavy metaphors in his work for sure but uh, I mean the prime of Miss Jean Brodie though I have actually gone back and read that several times in adulthood and I just I think I mean Muriel Spark is beyond compare she's a a jewel of a writer she can nail things you know I finished listening to it again in audio 
last night with Miriam Margoyles, who reads it. She's absolutely brilliant, and she does all these like, Edinburgh accents just to a T. But, you know, the, the final sentence of The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie is exquisite. And I, I mean, I just urge anyone who hasn't read it, or if you have read it, to go back and read it, because she's just a mistress of economy. I th- I just really admire any writer that can write in the way that she writes, which, you know, she's very spare. There's no sentence is, you know, extraneous in her work. It's just perfect, really. A wonderful writer. Do you think as well, because obviously a lot of us, a lot of people will be familiar with, obviously, the book, the story through maybe some of the adaptations. But again, when uh, Professor Willie Maley was on the podcast and he's a, a big fan and expert on Muriel Sparkin, you know, there's such a big body of work. And I'm not sure maybe if people appreciate that or have delved into it as deeply as, as maybe they should, as you say, with when you read some of her books, they're all quite short and precise. But, and that's a real skill to be able to tell a story with fewer words. Yeah, and to keep it going and to just sort of think there's certain paragraphs even that you just go back and read several times after you've read it, you think, that's perfect. She does that. I actually, what was it last summer I read uh, Robinson, which I'd never read before, which is set on a, an island, a desert island, and you know people, people are shipwrecked. Her humour as well is just biting. You know, there, there's nobody that does acerbic humour and writing like she does as well. I mean, what there was the, I think it was our 100th anniversary, 100th anniversary of our birth two years ago, maybe. And uh, they brought out all the, the books again and it's Canongate. I thought at the time, now I must go back and read. I don't think I have read them all, actually. I've read a lot of them, but uh, she's a writer that you want to go back to because she can something she pulls out the bag every time have you read yeah. much of Spark? i haven't you know i've read i've read the prime of miss jean Brodie, and in the back of just several conversations with willie mailey i've got uh, three or four of her books memento mori i want to start reading because he's he's told me to to read that but I, again it's on the my never-ending pile of books, <laughs> yeah. books to you're, be read you're just creating tension for yourself by talking to people about <laughs> new books sorry i know I know. Pile bigger. But she she kind of reminds. I always think that there's there's maybe certain Scottish authors that maybe not undervalued or underlooked in Scotland, but maybe we should be celebrating them. Robin Jenkins for me is is a yes. is a wonderful Scottish yeah. writer who I think we should be heralding throughout the world. I think Muriel Sparks another one who we should be look. These writers are, are here. They were they were amongst us. They you know they've written these brilliant works of literature and maybe maybe sometimes the closer you are to it the, the more you take it for granted yeah definitely oh i'm a great fan of robin jenkins i love robin jenkins the, the thistle and the grail oh yeah amazing book changeling cone gatherers i mean he is so underrated actually yeah you're right i mean well when i studied uh, scott english and scottish literature so i'm so a cheerleader for scottish literature completely and uh, there's a lot of writers that we have that are Sort of fly under the radar. Maybe it's I don't know what it is. Is it a cultural cringe? I don't know why we're not sort of doing our own thing, cheering on our own writers as much as we should be. No, certainly. Again, as I say, Muriel Spark is just is just there amongst a, a never-ending uh, list of books that uh, I will eventually get round to reading some of them. And because they are quite there's something because they are quite small and precise so that they're not daunting the way some books are and you think i could it's just a case of getting around to it in terms of time because there's always something else that you're reading or somebody else puts in your hands or suggests so are you not reading war and peace just now so we don't... <laughs> i am yes uh, so i've 
I've about 300 pages into it and I'm actually really enjoying it. So uh, I'm kind of just trying to, to get a bit of momentum going with that. So I, know, I don't think I've read it. I don't think I would remember if I've read it, but that's one of mine as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you know how I got on. I'll, yes. I'll keep everybody up to date. You are listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddy, and my guest today is Jan Patience. And Jan, we are on to the next question, and that is a book that you'd recommend to anyone. Someone gave me the poem for the day book. It's basically a poem a day, and you read a poem a day, and you know every day is different, and there's some biographical detail at the bottom, and which is always brilliant, actually. So you can, you know, it's just bite size but it, it really kind of has just rekindled my love affair with, with poetry. I mean it's, I like the idea of the because I think there's there's two there's another that's, that's the first volume on and then there's another volume but I like the idea of just being able to every day just whether it's a start of the day at a certain point in the day just be able to dip in and just read a poem or, or for that specific day. Yeah it's almost like a meditation for me and I you know I sort of think about it and because you're not reading too much of the of a, the one poet or or different poems by different poets, you're just sort of thinking about it. And you know, I sometimes I've got a, you know on my Instagram, I sort of take pictures of the poems and put it on my Instagram story. And you know, it's amazing the reaction you get to poetry. I mean, people use poems at, at key points in their lives. You know, this when they're getting married or you know when you, you're burying your loved ones, uh, poetry is really important. And because poem can just encapsulate so much and emotion and you know and it, what what strikes me with these poems that I'm reading you know you sort of, I always look at how, when they were written and you know it doesn't matter if a poem was written in the 1600s or if it was written you know at the start of this century it's people are people and the emotions are the same and they're still kind of trying to capture what it is to be human I think that's the, the thing for poetry which I lost when when I was studying it because it's interesting, I think, because the last time I, I think we did some poetry at school, which would have been the last time I think most people would have looked at poetry. And that sort, the sort of book, that poem for the day is the sort of thing that I think it sounds a really good idea for getting people to re-engage because it's, you know, you're only maybe having to, as you say, maybe it's a kind of thought for the day, as it were. And, yeah. you know, it's just yeah, a really short, a short thing. And there's not that element of having to study it or tell somebody how you're interpreting it or what the meaning is you're just reading it and you're getting out of it what you want to get out of it yeah that's right and there's so many different styles of poetry as well and you know and I suppose you know the saying that every people are human whatever but the styles of poetry have changed over the years so you can it tracks that sort of use of language as well which I always find fascinating you know and the going right back to you know, middle medieval times almost, you know, you can see how the language has changed. I mean, do you have the, as I said, there's, I think there's two volumes of this. Do you have yeah. the other volume as well? Got, yeah. I think I got the, the volume two first, actually. It was my best friend, Ruth, who we always give each other books for birthdays and Christmas. And uh, she gave me book two. And, and then I asked for book one because I realised there, there must have been a book one for a, a Christmas present. I think my husband gave me it. So I've got both of them by the loo, I confess. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I do, maybe like I alternate. I think, yeah, I do that. I, one year I do book one, one year I do book two. 
but you know, you always get something out of them in a, a second or third or fourth read. I think I mentioned the podcast. There's one, the best thing that I've ever read in this book one actually is the Emily Dickinson, which I mean, I love Emily Dickinson. She's just the most unusual person and poet. June the 7th is uh, She Rose to His Requirement Dropped, a, a title for a poem. It's brilliant. There's a, there's a biographical detail at the bottom that says Emily Dickinson remained unmarried herself. Once, turning down a request for a photo, she wrote, I have no picture, but I'm small, like the wren. My hair is bold, like the chestnut burr, and my eyes like the sherry in the glass that the guest leaves. I mean, that's brilliant, isn't it? And then you get that at, you know, half seven in the morning when you're sort of setting up for your day. And I'm like, oh. Because the other thing I like about this is, you know how you're so often, most times when you're reading book, you know, you'll be reading chapter after chapter, there's a kind of narrative flow. This is completely different. So it's almost, because it's one poem per day, it's actually making you read it differently because it's slowing you down. It's saying, just read this page. That's all you need to read. Don't race ahead. There's no hurry to finish. You'll get there at the end of the year. But just read this one day. And I, I really like that idea. Yeah, no, I do as well. And I suppose in this kind of the world we live in, although at the moment everybody's slowing down a little bit, I think. We live in a different world to the one I grew up in and you yourself, I'm sure, some maybe similar age. We just had reading when we were growing up, you know, there was the telly, but it wasn't even daytime telly, you know, you had reading bigger books or, you know, a lot of words didn't seem such a chore, but it's not a chore, but you know, I think now got so many distractions you know we've got social media we've got our work we've got smart tellies that can make you the tea and what hundreds and thousands of dramas to watch on telly and netflix and amazon prime so it's a more cluttered world so i think the poem for the day is for me a wee sanctuary and when you got the book was it your birthday was the first day you checked for the poem <laughs> yes i did <laughs> <laughs> and were you happy or disappointed with it with it <laughs> Let me just double check what it is again. March the 11th. Uh, or this one, it's Say Not the Struggle Not Availeth. And it's Arthur Hugh Clough, who lived from 1819 to 1861. And that, there's an awful lot of the, the sort of, that, that is particularly one of them, is, is, you know, poems that Churchill would have used in times of crisis, national crisis. So, I mean, actually, I did read that this year. And it was before the lockdown, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's quite opposite for our times. So that is Poems for the Day, one there's two, one in two volumes. I think it was Nicholas Albury who edited them, Cheto and Windus published them, and <clears throat> ideal for just leaving at your bathroom for, for every morning to start your day. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, we go from that book that you'd recommend to anyone to the next question, and that is a book that you couldn't be paid to read again and again this is one where you you had a, a different choice you, you've changed it to something else now yes okay well i should tell you what the original choice was sylvia plath the bell jar i just got around to reading that last year and actually i started reading it because my daughter who's 16 and should have been sitting her higher english this year she said that her english tutor had said to her she should read the bell jar so i bought it and I said to her, well, I haven't actually read it myself, so I'll read it as well. And I, I don't think my daughter has actually read it, that I've been saying now, but I have. I wouldn't read it again, but I don't think it's the worst book I'd ever read. I think that's why I ended up taking it off the list. It is an interesting novel. There are actually there are surprising moments of humour in it, which I wasn't expecting. 
but it's it's very much a first novel and who knows what Sylvia Plath would have done had she lived in terms of fiction but it's not a brilliant book so I felt uncharitable putting it in as the book I would be paid to read again because you know maybe if there was nothing else there to read I would read it <laughs> but it, it's not like a poetry let's just say that so the book that I ended up choosing is it's called The Shack by William P. Young I don't know if any of your listeners have read this but uh, it's a shocker it's just unbelievably bad I wouldn't have read it it's actually it's a book published was self-published back in I think it was 2008 and it's about this guy is an evangelical Christian it was it was meant to be it was written for his six children it's not meant to be published and uh, it's a poorly uh, written sort of metaphor for good and evil and how uh, to handle evil when it was walks among us type of thing and, and still retain your faith but it's just so bad the reason I read it was I set up a wee book group locally just in the, I live in a sort of hamlet really and it was just an idea I, I was kind of worried that I wasn't reading enough as well and I thought this will make me read more and get more in touch with reading again so it's been a great thing it's been going since 2016 but this was chosen by my friend and my neighbour Paula who's uh, an American expat and lives here, lived here for 10 years and uh, I don't know what I think she'd heard about I don't know why she we laugh about it now because it was like the lowest scored book ever in the history of the book group because everyone hated it but as I read it I was like oh this needs an editor <clears throat> so badly it was terrible anyway I mean, you have had you heard of it I'd heard of it I haven't I haven't read it I mean again it's been a it was phenomenal it ended up being phenomenally successful I don't know what happened it... I think the kind of Christian community took it on board because there aren't many kind of modern books, novels like this and a, and a kind of evangelical Christian theme. So I think, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about it because she's part of a kind of that community and she was saying, well, yeah, that's once the Christians get get on board, you're away, you know. Maybe that's a secret to, secret to a bestseller then. Eh? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Let's do it. So when you see when you obviously the book group get together having read the book, do you all gather and everybody just glares at, the, at your your friend who recommended it accusingly? <laughs> she, just, she put you through it. Well, do you know something? I I put a wee thing in the Facebook group that we have for the book group yesterday, saying, "Has anyone got an actual copy of this?" Because I just wanted to quickly, you know, read through it again to see how bad it was, and. Paula posted that she was secretly quite proud of the fact that it was the worst received book ever in the history of the book group. Is that so? Because I always think, you know, in, in terms of any book group, especially, I suppose, if, if she's maybe just heard of the book, but especially if you've read a book that you've really liked and then you're, that's the book you recommend and you bring to the group, there's a, there must be a slight anxiousness as you await the next meeting and to get the yes. feedback. Yeah, she was, uh, I mean, well, Paula was very anxious about it and then she was kind of, couldn't believe how badly it was received. But yeah, we're all a bit like that because you, you kind of, you do think about your choice quite a lot and there has been some real turkeys. I don't think anyone will mind me saying that, that, you know, some that I actually couldn't finish. Have you ever recommended any that hasn't met with, with a good response? Now, let me think, what was my last one? Oh, Sally Magnuson's The Seal Woman's Gift, her first novel. That was my last choice. No, and everybody really enjoyed that. The last one we did, we read was uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming. And that was, I, I was really, I loved that. And I listened to it in Audible. 
which was Michelle Obama actually speaking uh, and you know telling the story herself, which was just added to it. Amazing. But yeah, no, I think everyone is always a little bit anxious about the choice. Although I have to say, there's an awful lot of gabbing goes on. This is probably every book group, but you know, for almost like an hour before we get to the book, and I'm sitting there going, right, it's time to speak about the book now. That's why we're here. <laughs> Put down your prosecco. Yeah, as you say, it's probably that's probably the same in book groups throughout the world. Yes, because it's a social thing as much as but it's a good. I think it's such a good thing because it's effect, effectively, even if it is a social night, what's brought you together is books and a love of books. Yeah, it is. It's really good. It's been a great thing. It's been really nice actually getting to know sort of just taking on a life of its own, and I've got to know quite a lot of people who are sort of younger mums of the, even the area I live in because my kids are a bit older. But yeah, it's been great and we kind of you know there's been books like I'd always meant to read like the Camus The Outsider I hadn't read that and we read that early on that was great Michelle Obama book again I probably wouldn't have got around to reading it because it was it's a big book isn't it you know it's a thumper but it's made me read more and you know that's good because I you know I I think talking about it earlier we always I always read voraciously but it had tailed off it does tail off when you have small kids as well because it's hard to read I think it was, I'd felt that it had gone somewhere in my love of reading, but I, I feel as though it's come back. So apart from apart from the fact that you, you had to be subjected to the, the shack by William P. Young, <laughs> yeah. so not only could you not be paid to read it again, but uh, you're telling, you, you've you've taken the pain for all of us so that n- nobody else has to do it. Yeah, don't read it anyone. Uh, <laughs> <please don't. laughs> I'm sure he, William P. Young has heard it all before. Yeah, I'm sure he has. We are on to the last question. It's the book you're, you've either just finished reading or are currently reading. You mentioned earlier on, obviously, you just finished listening to The Prime of, of Miss Jean Brodin. You've got a, an audio audio book and also a print book. Is that something that you always have on the go then too at the same time? Well, it's just a recent thing, actually, because I, I just discovered Audible and audiobooks in the last a few years, a couple of years, really. A funny story, actually, about audiobooks. I read, and this is a cracking book as well, Melanie Reed is a, a friend and former colleague of mine, a Times columnist, and she wrote a book called The World I Fell Out Of, which is about her, it's a memoir about how she, she broke her, her spine, fell off a horse 10 years ago now, and it's about how she kind of came back from that. But, I mean, it's a very honest, raw book. I've downloaded it, and Melanie reads the book. And uh, I was, you know, really enjoyed it. We did a special women in journalism event with Melanie, and I chaired it, and it was a really amazing night. But I was in the supermarket one day, and I was listening to Melanie, and uh, you know, you're just so wrapped up in the because it's the the person who wrote it, you know. And uh, I saw Melanie's husband, Dave, who I used to work with. He's a photographer. He's a picture editor of the Sunday Mail when I was there. And I was like, oh, Dave. I've got Melanie in my ears, and he was like, what do, you, "What do you mean? What do you mean? He's, he's a luddite, Dave." You know, I said, "Well, you remember your wife went into her office for three days and read the book that she'd been slaving over for the last year." That, anyway, that must be a, a quite a strange experience, then, not only just to listen to a book, but as you say, to listen to it when your friend's actually reading it to you and yeah. tell it a story. I know, I know, and I asked her about it, and she said oh, it was the strangest experience, and she kept wanting to change it. She, you know, as she was reading it, she's oh, she's editing it as she's going along. Huh? Yeah, she's like, oh god, this doesn't read properly. You know, when you speak, you know what it's like when you read something out loud. You think that doesn't work, and she said she kept 
after having that feeling that it wasn't quite working. But uh, so they were like, no, <laughs> you can't change it now. Crack on with it. But what was interesting was she was saying that you would get to the end, you know, you could stop at a comma. And then, you know, if you stumbled or whatever, they have a sort of a method of, you know, otherwise it would just be too, you would go on for too long. <laughs> and she got quite emotional in parts when she was reading it. You could hear yeah. it in her voice. Uh, I mean, because it's a, a hell of a story. The audiobook that you, again, you, you mentioned it earlier on in the, the podcast, that, uh, about your book from formative years, but you've just finished listening to The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie. That's right. So, yeah, that was Miriam Margoyles reads that, and uh, she's just brilliant. She does all, the, does all the accents, and she's a perfect Edinburgh accent. That's got me through in the last, been doing some running in uh, the lockdown, so that got me through painful runs. Because I'm also, I'm always curious about people who who listen to books. I, I don't really listen to, to books at all. And I find, that way I find my attention span from, you know, even if a, a book reading, sometimes if somebody's maybe reading for more than a few minutes from the from a passage from the book, I find my mind begins to wander a wee bit. So I wonder what, what that's like when you're actually having to focus on somebody telling you the story of the book. I listen to the audio books when I'm in the car or I'm running or I'm not distracted by something else. It's really easy to kind of yeah drift off. I wouldn't listen to them like in bed or, you know, just sort of sitting at my, the table or something. I, I suppose it's a different way of reading. And it, I always say, am I reading it or am I listening to it? But it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's been written. It's just a new way of consuming books, you know. Because my theory on it is, is kind of similar to what actually transpired with ebooks is that what it does is it encourages people to rediscover the love of books but ultimately I think it pushes people back to the physical product because there's something about holding a book in your hand that you can't replicate with a kindle or with an audiobook yeah no I think you're right and that actually the book group I'm always if I've read it on an audio version I'm always really fascinated to see the the physical book and I'm like picking it up and stroking it you know I remember that with the Michelle Obama book. I was like, oh, you know, is that how big it is? And, and there's photographs in it as well, which you don't get in an audio book. Yeah, I mean, I think books are a, physical books are a comfort blanket for me anyway. But it's just that audio books are a different way to, to read. Because it's interesting, one of the, the things that people, quite a lot of people have pointed out on Twitter during this current lockdown is the amount of times you see someone getting interviewed on TV, be it politician or whoever, and they always just make sure that they're sitting in front of a, <laughs> a suitably stocked and impressive bookcase. Exactly, I know. Which shows that people still see it's a reflection of how people might see them, of the books that they own, the books that they read. That's right, I know, because people will sort of freeze it and look at the books and want to zoom in. Yeah. It's a bit like me and the art on the walls. I'm sort of torn between looking at the art on the walls and the books. Do you find yourself judging people then? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack McConnell uh, was interviewed on BBC News the other week and he had a Billy Connolly drawing on the wall behind him. I instantly recognised it because I've just I've written about him fairly recently. And I saw there was a few people on Twitter saying, oh, what is that behind Jack McConnell? You know, I'm, I'm like, I know what that is. We mentioned the audiobook that you've just finished, but the print book, and it's a book I've I've heard so many people talking so positively about it, and it's Motherwell by Deborah Orr. Yes. My friend Jill gave me this for my birthday just last month. I, like you, had heard a lot about it. I'd followed Deborah Orr's career and, you know, read her columns in The Independent and in The Guardian. The background is that she died in, I think it was October or November last year, grew up in Motherwell to a, an English mother 
and a Scottish father. So her book is a memoir, lovely title, Motherwell, because the mother features very heavily. Motherwell, a girlhood. It's about her childhood and how it shaped her. It's a, so a kind of, the kind of book she could only have written it when her parents had died because, you know, she's not altogether positive about them. She's a great writer with an amazing recall of detail and anyone would find it, even if you didn't grow up in Motherwood, <laughs> you didn't grow up in the 60s, I think it would resonate with people. Uh, quite an interesting way of using a memoir, you know, because what's a memoir for is, is, an, is ultimately quite a sort of narcissistic exercise. It's quite sad, actually. She, she passed away just before or just after publication, didn't she? Yeah, I don't even think it, it came out early this year. So I think it, it was January, February it came out. So, yeah, it's not, uh, she didn't see it, love to see it published, which is very sad, you know. I'm sure she would have enjoyed it, talking about it and whatever. And certainly, you know, amongst the sort of the journalist community, there's a great sense of anticipation about it. Yeah, I'm halfway through it and it really, you know, it's 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 a great book very readable she's got a great style very, very engaging and just sort of like it's the devil is in the detail and I suppose that's show not tell the tiny details of her life which I think I do remember writing columns about when her mum died and you know she was going through the house with her brother and it's a thing that we as you go through life I had to do it myself you know you, you have to excavate your parents lives by disposing of their house and their contents of their life so that's basically what she's doing. She's kind of looking back. It also hinges around this bureau where they weren't allowed to look. Her and her brother were not allowed to look inside this bureau, but there were certain things that were kept in there. I find myself, you know, that her, she's gone, you know, sort of wondering what her remaining family think about it. And of course, she was married to Will Self, the writer. And although she doesn't necessarily kind of discuss him, he's there. And that wasn't a great relationship she obviously was mindful of her, her own sons when she was writing it. I mean, see, so you go back to you were mentioning, obviously, the book group you're in, when you're reading a book like this or any other book, are you, is there a wee part of you thinking, I wonder if this would be a good book to recommend or have you already got an idea of what you'd like to bring to the table next? Yeah, I'm always sort of thinking about that and the next book was to be, is, and we're doing a, a virtual book group next month and we're doing Sally, I think sound like a cheerleader for Sally Magnuson, but um, we're doing her latest novel, The Ninth Child. And the reason we were doing it was because we were going to actually have Sally Magnuson lives near me and we were going to have Sally at an event and the, the book group was moving into the church hall. Right. <laughs> and Sally was going to come and I was going to do it like a bit like a book festival event, just but with lots of wine. Uh, that would have been great. Yeah. Well, I think we will do it in the autumn because Sally's up for doing it and obviously she lives nearby, so it's not too much of a hassle for her. And I've got that. That's my next book I'm going to read, actually, The Ninth Child. She's a great storyteller as well. I don't know if, you know, sort of obviously in the genes there with her, her Icelandic genes and her father was a great storyteller also and her mother. I, enjoy, I very much enjoyed The Seal Woman's Gift, actually. It was a great book. And everybody will have to say positive. If she's at, if she's out there, right, everybody will have to say positive things about the book. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's a different vibe, a different dynamic. We can't actually slag it off. We won't be scoring Sally, Sally's yeah. book that day. <laughs> ten, ten out of ten all round. <laughs> We're almost at the end of the podcast, but one thing, you know, again, going back to the introduction, I'd read you'd mentioned you'd already you'd co-wrote a book back in 2016. And is it something that, you know, have you any plans at all to write another book, whether fiction or non-fiction at all? Well, I'd love to. I've got um, a couple of ideas, one fiction, one non-fiction, and I've been 
sort of looking back at my notes for all, for the, the non-fiction one particularly. So, uh, yes, I would like to write another book. It's the, I mean, I, I, you, you might be the same as a journalist, but I respond to a deadline. I think if someone was to say, right, just crack on and write that, I would be on it like a rocket. But then we've got this time at the moment that this, and I think I should just I should use it to sort of to get my teeth into the the, the, the non-fiction book idea I actually put on Twitter last year actually a, a thing with, in which agents were standing by to kind of get Twitter pitches and my idea was picked up by one of them but they wanted to see a treatment and you know which is you've got to write a, a pressy of how you see it and the first three chapters so, so that's my uh, lockdown aim is and I, now I've said it I've got to get these three chapters written as you say, I I think, and I think a lot, I think most journalists are the same. If even if somebody said to you, I need that, I need that in one month's time, that's the deadline. You would do it because it's it's how you're used to working over many years, and it's actually it gets you go. Whereas if it's like a kind of vague, right, we'll just I'll finish it whenever. It's you're always putting it off and putting it off because there's always something else that does have a deadline. Yeah, no, that's that's how I work. I mean, my husband can't believe the way I work. But I mean, he's not a journalist, so he's, that's just not how he he operates. But um, yeah, he's always saying that you just need to give yourself a deadline. That's how how we get things done. We look forward to to when when your when your nonfiction idea does come to fruition. Well, thank you. And now I said it, I need to do it. Maybe that's part of the battle. Absolutely, it's now down in audio. <laughs> With, with witnesses. Yes. Um, but listen, thanks very much uh, for joining us on the podcast. And if anybody wants to check over Jan's choices, you can go on to my website, www.paulcuddehy.com. Every guest has their own, their own individual page where I've listed all the, the book choices under the various categories. But finally, it was nice to chat via Skype and, and finally get to, to record this podcast with you, Jan. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Paul. And uh, it's always good to to sit and talk to to anyone about books. So it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's been the highlight of the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going. I'm going to start using that as my marketing <laughs> tagline. <laughs> but thanks very much. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at Read All About Twenty. On Instagram at Read All About It Podcast, or you can send an email to readallaboutit at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It Podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.